to bring you the message from Timothy. We're continuing our series of uh, the young and the reckless. And uh, my, my duty today is to try to bring Timothy to life for you. Uh, but before I do, I have to, to talk a little bit about what Shauna said about Mexico and uh, the testing of her faith, my driving. <laughs> Those uh, roads in Mexico, let me, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, the roads in Mexico from Tijuana, just south of San Diego, to Cabo San Lucas, and that's the correct way you pronounce that one, is 800 kilometers, two lanes, and not much shoulder. It's okay from Tijuana to Ensenada. It's all very touristy, very commercial. It's a toll road, divided highway, very nice. But as soon as you leave Ensenada, it's two lanes with a little orange stripe down the middle, which is, has, uh, same as ours, uh, a straight line and occasionally a dotted line. This dotted line says it's probably safe to pass. The straight line says, I'm going to pass anyway. <laughs> so we were going up these hills, winding hills, I don't know, a couple thousand feet by the time you get to the top. And uh, the lanes are 10 feet wide. The bus is 8 feet line, 8 feet wide, and very curvy. There's a, probably a six-foot, six-inch drop-off between the pavement and the three-inch shoulder. And uh, then you go off, you know, in a 100- or 200-foot drop. So 10 feet wide for me and 10 feet wide for the other ways, and a curvy road, just perfect place for a semi to pass us, which, which did. And that's where the people were gasping, and Shauna was on the floor with her head under a pillow. So, but it was a great time, and we uh, we want to thank those of you who supported uh, Nexus as they went this, went on this missions trip, and uh, we we learned lots of valuable lessons. You want to be here next week because uh, we're going to have a video and a, and a debrief and a, a little bit of a celebration about uh, what we accomplished, what God did through us and to us in Mexico. It'll either be in the morning service or possibly in the in the um, in the vision night, but uh, you want to be here to hear more about it and uh, uh, what what a wonderful blessing it was to be able to go. Uh, last week, Marilyn spoke to you about the the boy with a few fishes who um, uh, fed 5,000 people for lunch. Uh, we learned about God's economy and uh, how to value things, how God values things and, and what can be important um, in life. And today I'm going to talk about Timothy. Uh, Timothy is one of the characters in the New Testament when you begin to really look at and examine his life and do a bit of a character study on him. Uh, I was amazed to really find out that we can learn more about Timothy probably than any other character in the New Testament outside of the Gospels and outside of the Apostles. We probably know more about Timothy than some of the 12 Apostles. Probably know more about Timothy than we know about Philip. So, or some of the other lesser known apostles. Um, so that was a real, uh, a real, uh, joy for me to realize what Timothy was all about. And one of the things about continually reading your Bible and examining and going from back and forth and looking up passages and seeing how this passage relates to that passage and getting a good understanding of the history 
And, and I want to make a very clear point. The book of Acts is good history. It's not a fable. It's not a legend. It's not a fairy tale. The book of Acts, the letters to the churches, is good history. It's as good as the history you would know about any king of England or Julius Caesar or Augustus. It's good history. And as I studied it, I began to realize that Timothy and Paul and the, the people who were at the different churches in the New Testament, they're no different than us. That distance begins to shrink, and you realize that their struggles were the same as ours. They grew, they encountered God, they encountered the reality of what it means to know God and how that impacts their daily life. They were just like us. And uh, that, was, uh, that was really uh, uh, an eye-opener for me. Because we see these people the same way we may see movie stars. As somebody special or different. But they're not. They're the same as us. Most of what I'm going to tell you today comes from Acts chapter 14 to, and, and 16 to 20. That's Acts chapter 14 uh, is where uh, Paul goes and to Timothy's hometown. And Acts 16 to 20 begins to tell us when Timothy... Um, started hanging out with Paul. And then First and Second Timothy gives us a lot more into what Timothy was all about. But let me just tell you a little bit about how Timothy got saved. I'll tell you about, a little bit about Timothy's story. As a child, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. He would have been acquainted with the stories of, of uh, Adam and Eve and uh, Noah and Abraham and the patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob. He would have known about Moses and Joshua and the kings and the prophets, the Psalms. He would have known all about that as he was growing up as a, as a young man. He lived in a small town called Lystra, which didn't have a synagogue because there wasn't enough Jews who lived there. Uh, but um, his mother was a Jewish and his father was Greek. But 20, 18 to 20 kilometers away was the town of Iconium. And I can imagine, occasionally, his mother Eunice taking him to Iconium to go to the, to the synagogue. And uh, Timothy would have loved that. He would have loved to see the rabbi read the scriptures and uh, expound upon the word. And one time when he was there, I imagine he was there and uh, there was a special speaker there that day. There was a man teaching about... Jesus, who he claimed to be the expected Messiah. He spoke boldly about the scriptures that this Jesus was the Christ. Then after the service was over, his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois talking with the ladies there and hearing stories that not only was this man Paul talking about a Messiah, which some of the elders said, yes, it could be the Messiah, and some says, no, it wasn't. But he was doing miraculous signs at the same time. So the Jews in Iconium were split. Some thought that Jesus was the Christ and Paul's story was true. And some thought that, no, he's, uh, he's misleading the pe- people. But a few days later, after Timothy had returned home, he was able to see this man, Paul himself. He was off to the market in the afternoon with his grandmother. And when he got there, they saw Paul again and a crowd of people all around him. Again, he was telling them about Jesus who was claimed to be the Christ. 
And Timothy, being the young, impetuous man he was, snuck his way to the front of the circle that were, where this Paul was speaking. And as he watched Paul teach the people about Jesus, how he, he was killed on a Roman cross, and three days later he rose to the dead, he noticed Paul looking at a man, a cripple in the front row, who had never taken a step his entire life. And Paul looked at him and said, Stand to your feet. And at that the man stood up and began to walk. The marketplace went crazy. Absolutely crazy. Pandemonium broke out. People began to yell. The gods have come down to us in human form. They called Paul Hermes and and Barnabas Zeus. Someone ran to the priest of the temple of Zeus was just outside the city gates and the priest came and with garlands and a bull and he was going to sacrifice to Paul and to uh, Barnabas. Totally unaware of this, Paul was still in the marketplace talking to the people, teaching them, telling them that this man was healed because of Jesus uh, and not because of Paul. And uh, then he realized what was happening and that they were trying to... Uh, to make him a god, and, and Tim, uh, him and Barnabas ran into people and said, no, we're not, we're just people like you. And he could barely keep them from sacrificing to, him, to himself. But after he was able to claim, calm them down, the Jews from Iconium showed up. They took this advantage to say, if he ain't God, then he's an imposter. And he's misleading you. And, and you can't listen to this guy. Matter of fact, he's better off dead. And they began to stone Paul. How would you like that? One minute you're God, the next minute you're worthy of death and they're going to stone you. And that's exactly what they did. Right there in the marketplace, the Jews and some of the people that were with them picked up stones and they stoned Paul until he was dead dragged him outside the the city and left him. A few of the disciples, maybe Timothy and and his grandmother Eunice were there. And as they were weeping and crying and wondering about what was going on, Paul, bloodied and battered, got back to his feet and boldly strode back into the city. The very next day he left for Derby, which was 60 miles away. And... uh, that was, and he came back a few days later. He put elders in the church and he started that first Christian church in Lystra. That was Timothy's introduction to the gospel. From that point on, Timothy took the Old Testament scriptures that he knew from his grandmother and he knew from his, um, his mother and realized that Jesus was the Christ and began to live a Christian life as a very young man. Maybe 10, maybe 12 years old, we're not sure. Timothy's name means honoring God. And that's, that's the message I want to talk to you today. Uh, maybe it's, we could title it the triple E's of serving God, of honoring God. Now the first thing that we realize about Timothy and how he honored God and why he could honor God because I don't want to just talk about what Timothy's role in it. I want to talk about what the church's role in Timothy's being able to honor God. Our role in each of us being able to honor God. Because we can't honor God on our own. So the first thing that Timothy 
we learn about Timothy and his ability to honor God is his environment. And uh, I want to look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to be jumping around in First and Second Timothy for three different scriptures. You can try to follow along, or I put it on PowerPoint. And there it is. Amazing. First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, I have, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. In another place, Paul says to Timothy, you know about the scriptures since your infinite infancy. And how they're able to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to help you. So t- Timothy was nurtured in his faith from his earliest childhood. Even though he had uh, neither a Jewish father, and there's no indication that his Greek father ever became a believer. His mother and his grandmother faithfully taught and encouraged Timothy in his faith. faith. And looking around the congregation today, I notice some single parents. Uh, and some grandparents bringing grandchildren uh, to to church. Um, and I think, how many of us owe our devotion to the Lord to the prayers of a grandparent, or the faithfulness of a mother, or the faithfulness of a father? Uh, I know some people in my life who I think that Christianity skipped a generation, or it seemed to for a while, because I knew their grandparents were Christians, but their parents aren't, and then the children were Christians. Um, one preacher tells what he sees in every congregation he ever preaches at. Uh, <clears throat> he talks about a woman, usually sits at the back of the auditorium. She is accompanied by two or three young children, but no other adult. She attempts to sing or listen to the sermon, but most of her time is spent tr- just trying to keep her kids quiet. Coloring books and Cheerios spend much more time in her hands than the Bible. If this wasn't frustrating enough, she has to endure the countless gazes from those around her who have forgotten how their own kids behaved and are now terribly distracted by hers. And when the assembly is dismissed, she looks exhausted more than uplifted. She trudges with her troops back to the car and wonders if it was worth it. To many, she and her children were a nuisance. To me, she is among the grandest of all saints. It was this type of woman who provided the environment that led Timothy to honor God. When Paul returned to Lystra a few years later, we learned that Timothy had an excellent reputation among the believers in Iconium. So environment is important. And not only when kids are growing up, we as a congregation have a responsibility for the environment of this body. For the non-believers and the young believers and the questioning believers that come through our doors each Sunday. Uh, we have a responsibility to set the environment of hospitality. That means for everybody. For the mother with her young children. The teenager or young adult with piercings and tattoos so much that they can't get through the detector at the airport. We have to offer hospitality to them and make them feel welcome. Uh, to the single male or female young adult, to the intact family, to the one who has a different skin color or a different accent. Our responsibility, so the word of God can grow in their hearts, is to provide an uh, environment of hospitality. Uh, 
When we come into the service to worship, we need to create an environment of worship. That means, like David said, rise up, my soul, for I will yet praise the Lord. He didn't feel like it all the time, but he yet he worshipped. He read the words there and he committed them to his heart. So when you come in, those are not just songs we sing. Those are prayers and worships, worship to God. And uh, so we need to create that environment by putting our hearts into the worship when we come. Um, not like I've heard other worship leaders say, there's always a few in the uh, congregation who sit there like this and say, try and make me worship. I dare you. That's not how you create an environment of worship. Sometimes you have to, to lift up your hands when your heart is down. Sometimes you have to uh, pour your heart into it when you really don't feel like it. It doesn't mean you're joyful and you're dancing, but you're acknowledging that, God, even in the midst of my struggles, I will worship you. We need to create an environment of prayer, praying for the service, praying for the musicians, praying for the speakers, praying for the lost who are going to come through this door, praying for the the greeters and the ushers and the cafe people, bathing this place in prayer so that the Word of God can, can freely work. We need to uh, create an environment of service where we're serving one another and helping out and, and just being courteous and kind to everybody we come through. So that's the environment that allowed Timothy to honor God. But in addition to an environment... Timothy also required an example. And he had one of the greatest examples in the Apostle Paul. Now, after this first encounter in Lystra where Paul healed that cripple and preached the gospel and then was stoned and left the city a few days later uh, and returned only briefly, he returned, I'm not sure how long, four, six, eight years later, probably less than eight, probably closer to four or six years, and went through that whole region visiting all the places where he had established churches. And when he got to to Lystra in Acts chapter 16, the people were already beginning to talk about Timothy. He had a reputation uh, with the believers in Lystra and uh, and the believers in Iconium as as a fine young man who was serving God. When Paul saw this, he decided he would take him as a part, as his helper, as he continued his missionary journey. And uh, from there, they went to Thessalonica, they went to Berea, they went to Corinth. And Timothy was able to participate in the ministry. He was able to see how Paul handled problems. He was able to see how Paul preached. He was able to see how Paul taught the people. And uh, in... Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy? 2 Timothy 3, 10, 11. I forgot to write it down in front of me. Paul specifically speaks to the example he set for Timothy. He says, you know, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patient, love, endurance, persecutions, Sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. So Timothy had this wonderful example, 
And just some of the things that Timothy probably saw. He saw Paul stoned at Lystra. He saw him flogged yet singing in Philippi. He saw him teach in the synagogues and marketplaces of Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. He probably heard about Paul's vision from a man from Macedonia and how God was using that vision to to ask him to come to, to preach the gospel in Macedonia. He watched Paul endure the abuse of his persecutors and confront and reprimand the churches under his care. That's the example that Timothy had. Now, I want you to... This is really the heart of what my message is here because we need to be examples. There's two sides to an example and each of us need to look at both sides. We either need to be an example or we need to be looking at an example. And as a community of believers, that's part of what our job is to do. Pastor Allen talks very passionately about the local church. And he will tell you he does not believe in church hopping and going and getting a blessing here and there and everywhere. And one of the reasons is because we have a responsibility and a duty to each other. The young people here need to see the example of some of our more mature Christians, how they live their life, how they react, their faith, their patience. Our young people need that. And we can't do that if everybody is hopping all over the place just coming to listen to the sermon or the better music at a different place. So we are a community. We are an organism. We need to provide an example for each other. Look at this list that we have when Paul talks to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching. Well, you can find out what Pastor Allen's teaching is just by showing up on Sundays and listening carefully. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to do that anymore. If the teaching's all you want, you can get it from the website. But it's more than that. You know all about my way of life. How can anybody know your way of life unless you're interacting with them? When we talk about a way of life, we're talking about how you handle your relationships with your family, with your, with your spouse, with your children with your workers? How do you handle your money? How do you handle your difficulties and trials? Your way of life. And uh, young people need to see. I grew up in a home that had an alcoholic father who was almost non-existent. And as a matter of fact, I think by the time I was eight uh, in grade uh, seven or eight, my father was in an accident and went to a personal care home and never returned home after that. So I was brought up strictly by my mother and uh, as a young man, well, as a teenager and a preteen, when I would go to friends' houses for supper or to hang out and play games with them, I would watch the interaction of the father with his family. And I thought to myself, different times I can remember myself saying, when I get a family, I want to be like this man or that man. I want to do this in my family. But I didn't have a whole lot of examples. As a matter of fact, when I was just getting married... Uh, a young man alone, uh, not deep connection to the church I was attending, no real male mentors for me to um, to uh, bond with. I was deeply um, nervous about getting married. I was deeply worried about it. I was going to say a joke there, but I won't. <laughs> it turned out to be the best thing I ever did. But I didn't know what a husband needed to do. Matter of fact, I didn't even know how to... What to do at a wedding? 
They just told me to show up at this time, bring the pay for the flowers, and say I do. And that's really all I knew about it. But I would have loved to have an older man who knew what it meant to take care of a wife, knew what it meant to build a home and build a family. Uh, fortunately, I've, God has blessed me with some great male friendships that I would be able to, to learn a lot of things uh, from these friends. John Elridge, who uh, wrote um, Wild at Heart, says, Maleness is captured from maleness. Women can do a wonderful example of teaching, but to teach to be a male takes another male to initiate uh, a young boy into what it means to be a true man. So we need examples to honor God. Uh, continuing in the list, purpose, purpose, way of life. What is your purpose for living? Our young people need to know that there is a purpose in serving God. Our faith, our patience, our love and, and, and endurance. Uh, I need to talk about the Mexico trip for a minute. Uh, some of the reasons why we went to Mexico. Absolutely it was to preach the gospel, to help a sister church, to, to, to uh, encourage our brothers and sisters in Mexico. But a, one of the reasons for my part, right from day one I knew, was to get away with a group of young uh, teenage and young adult men and women to put them in a place for 14 or 15 days where we work together and we would learn what it means to be in close community where they would see the example of the older people and we would see their example and they would learn from each other. And I have to tell you uh, that the teenagers and the young adults, you would be very, very proud of the example they set for each other in service, in caring, in courtesy, in kindness, um, being 14 days in very close company and sometime in some stressful circumstances when uh, we had some troubles. There was hardly a hint of any um, dissension or discouragement or cliqueiness or um, it was the love of Christ being portrayed in each of them. So that's one of the reasons why we did the Mexico trip. And they were an example to, to me. Uh, we took gifts to the churches that we stayed with along the way, simple little gifts, some maple, maple syrup and, a, and, and some tokens of our appreciation. And we did that for the missionary. And when I got there, I realized that we'd forgotten to bring a gift for the host churches that we were ministering to. And I asked the missionary about this. And he says, well, what's sometimes done is you give an offering, you collect an offering to give. And, and I asked what would be appropriate. And he said, well, $200 because some of these church uh, pastors are tent-making pastors. And when we're there, they take a week off work so that they can facilitate the ministry. And so it, it does cost them something. So I thought, oh, $200, I'll bring that to the group and we'll see what we do. But we had an additional problem because we had a second church that we were helping plant. So there was a second pastor. And uh, I checked with the missionary about that. And he, he kind of was thought, hmm, well, you probably can't do that much for the other pastor too. So... Maybe if he gets $100, we can take a little bit from the offering to the other pastor and, uh, and we'll kind of sort it out that way. Well, when I brought that to the group, and remember, these kids worked hard. They fundraised. They took their own money from work. 
And they took a little bit of spending money down there on their own. And it was out of that spending money that they gave an offering for these pastors. And in the example of generosity, we were able to give the lead pastor of the bigger church over $200 and the second pastor almost $200. Now that's an example of generosity that blessed my heart because it was totally generous, uncoerced. I just gave an announcement, asked one of the members to collect the offering, and that's exactly what happened. So when we live in close community, we're an example to one another of our faith, our perseverance, how we handle things. And that's uh, what we need to do. How does that apply to this church here? We all have a place in ministry. We all have a place to connect with people. You will not necessarily be an example if all you do is show up Sunday mornings and, uh, and, and just come on Sunday mornings. You become an example when you rub shoulders with somebody and work in the ministry. When you work uh, either as a greeter or in the cafe or we work with youth or kids club or Sunday school or 55 plus or any other ministries and programs here. When you rub shoulders with somebody week in and week out, that's where you see what they're like. You get to, to, uh, to see with them. And that's why I love working with youth. Uh, Pastor Allen often talks to me about whether I should be doing something else or we should get somebody on board. And, and as much as that looks great to me, and sometimes I could say Friday night at 3.30 I'd be finished work instead of beginning another six hours of work. One thing that always bothers me, I think, well, then what interaction will I have with those young adults who help me with youth, who run the ministry? I'll have no more reason to speak in their lives. I'll have to find another venue in another place. But Friday by Friday by Friday, by staff meeting, by hanging out, by playing sports with them, I get a chance to speak to them and speak into their lives and and see how they're growing and offer a word of encouragement here and there. So I challenge you, uh, next week there and through Roundup, there'll be opportunities for you to get involved in a ministry where you'll have a chance to be an example or to watch an example. I challenge you young people, each one of you should be involved in a ministry. If you come to youth on Friday night, you need to serve in Sunday school or as greeters where you can see other adults and how they react because that's really what formed Timothy's character. Uh, a book I read this summer had a, a great quote in it. And it said, <clears throat> we use people to get jobs done. So if you're thinking that the ministry is all about getting jobs done, that's only half the picture. Yes, we use people to get those ministries done. But God uses those jobs to get us done. Let me say that again. God uses those ministries to get us done. It's when we serve and work with each other that God changes us and transforms us. And we work with people we have to learn to get along with, that God refines our character. Purpose, the purpose being He wants to make us look like Jesus Christ. And that's why, that's the other reason why we need to serve in ministry, so we can change ourselves. And because Paul worked so closely with Timothy, he was able to offer words of encouragement. Timothy, even though he seemed to be such a uh, on-fire, altogether young man who had wonderful talents and abilities, um, if we look at what happened in, in Acts and, and the letters, when they left Lystra, 
uh, and began to go to Thessalonica and to Berea and to Corinth, they were in, in Thessalonica for maybe three weeks. It says Paul was there for three Sundays in the synagogue. And then he preached a little bit around. And then, as usually happened in Paul's ministry, somebody got upset and, and threatened him harm. So they moved to another place. So they were only in Thessalonica for three weeks. Timothy might have been traveling with him for maybe two months. And they were off to Corinth. And Paul was really concerned about the Thessalonican church. So he sent Timothy back. Because i got to see how the Thessalonians are doing. So he sent Timothy back, a young man, to go back and encourage this church to teach them to, to see how they were doing. And Paul was greatly encouraged when Timothy came back and reported that the church was doing great, that they were generous, that they were preaching the gospel, that their love was known uh, throughout all the other churches in the region. So um, Timothy seemed to be a capable, altogether young man. But if we look at what Paul writes to him uh, in, in one of the Timothys uh, with uh, encouragement, 2 Timothy 4, verses uh, 12 to uh, 14, he has some specific words for Timothy. Now, the, the context of this letter is, Paul is in prison in Rome, and uh, as we read in the letter, he thinks he may not even survive this imprisonment. He may uh, be at his last imprisonment. And so Timothy is in Ephesus, dealing with the church there, encouraging the church there. And Paul writes him and says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. He might have been 35 years at age at this time. Um, but in the ancient world and in the Asian world, uh, youth is not the prize it is in this world. Uh, you're considered when you had gray hair to be wise and an elder. And uh, so a clan leader and, and a person like that might have been in his 50s or 60s and would have been looked upon with respect. So as a young man of 35, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. It's kind of interesting. Paul says, I was this example to you. Now you be that example to the people you're preaching to. Until I come, devote yourself to, to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And do not neglect the gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. When he was in Lystra, Paul and the elders of the church there laid hands on him, prayed for him, commissioned him, prophesied over him, and told him, "This, these, you have these gifts, you have these abilities, God is going to use you. Yet, when Timothy is in the ministry, he needs to be reminded. He needs to be encouraged to follow through on these things. Now, encouragement is not the same as praise. Um, what does encouragement look like? Encouragement means we to, to give somebody encouragement, we have to show a genuine interest in the person you're encouraging. You have to look at what what their interests are. You have to look them in the eye. You have to be excited about what they're, they need encouragement for, whether it's a student working in school or in sports or a young man serving in Sunday school or kids club. You have to take a genuine interest in what they're doing. Secondly, you have to speak to the gifts, the talents, the abilities that that person possesses. Uh, 
You have to encourage them to continue singing in the music team, to keep working on their guitar skills, to keep reading the Bible, to keep praying, to keep working with youth, to keep uh, greeting people. There's a young lady who at youth um, who has this wonderful gift of making newcomers feel welcome. And she goes to them all the time and, and makes them fit in. Well, she needs to be encouraged that that's a good thing and be told to continue doing these things. So encouragement means you take an interest and you speak to those gifts and abilities and talents. And just because somebody has an ability or a talent doesn't mean it's easy for them. Sometimes they need to be encouraged to use that tally. So we have to speak to the specific challenge the person is facing. It's not always easy to get up here and lead worship on Sunday. You need to be encouraged and know that you're doing a good job. So that's how we show encouragement. We show courage by saying thank you to people for, for what we, we do. I'll do a little test. Um, last Sunday or the two Sundays ago when you were here, um, did you thank anybody for doing the job they did at church on Sunday? Meaning, did you thank an usher for ushering? Did you thank any of the greeters for opening the door? Did you thank somebody specifically for serving in the cafe, and I don't mean saying thank you when you got your cup. I hope you did that. But taking them aside after and say, thank you for coming early so we have coffee. Thank you for whoever cooked cookies. Did you ever thank the musicians for what they've done, being here early to practice, the sound room people? That is showing encouragement by being grateful and thankful for everything that the people do here so that we can come and enjoy this service. To finish up the story... Timothy started with Paul from Lystra, and we learn more about people by what others say about them than what they say themselves. In the whole New Testament, we never hear Timothy say anything. We just find out what he did, where he went, what he did when he went there, by what other people said with him. I already told you about the church, his home church, that he was a wonderful young man with great potential. But Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this when he's going to send Timothy to them. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Now, I hope that we will be able to say that about many of our young people and our middle-aged people and our older people, how they have taken a genuine interest in the welfare of this community. And I know we can say that about many, but we need to keep building that environment, being examples to each other, and encouraging each other so that um, we can say about each other that we've proved ourselves. We've proved ourselves by being faithful to the interests of Jesus Christ. Can I have the band back up here as I close? Because that's really what this is all about. Church is not a, a social club, a country club, where we come to, to please ourselves. It's about taking care of the genuine interests of Jesus Christ. And the interests of Jesus Christ, that the lost get saved, the sick get healed, the poor get taken care of. 
And that's our job as this body of believers, to give ourselves to making the world around us a better place.